Some German, but yeah, never mind. Ja, like in in uh, are you are you doing this uh, in honor of of Slauson, Mister Slauson himself? Yes, I am. Mister Slauson, German name. Yes. Today we are discussing 1979's Tourist Trap, aka Slauson's. 24-hour roadside grocery and maniacal mannequin outlet. Not it doesn't roll off the tongue as nice. <laughs> That's why they just changed it to tourist trap. <laughs> <laughs> just change it to the tourist trap. Because <laughs> you know the best way to, to trap tourists is to lure them into an obvious uh place of <laughs> Obvious place where yeah, this one doesn't even. Uh, they don't even have a like a. It's not even a guise of a functional roadside attraction. It's not. It doesn't even look like something that's like a kitschy, uh, you know, pies for sale on the side of the road or whatever. Right, but they still they still fall for it. Yeah, <laughs> good, good, and they get what they deserve. Um, you got anything you want to discuss off the top? It's been a week. Any 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 new stuff 
besides the puppy? Well, I'm currently in preparations for our annual chili cook-off, which we haven't done the last two years uh. um, for COVID reasons. But this will be year 10, uh, finally able to get year 10 off the ground. And I was brainstorming some chili names. Let me know how you think about these. Okay. Because best name wins. So famously, our mutual friend Kyle uh, named his the Greasy Strangler one year, which right. which is a great name. I don't think he won. Probably because I was the only one in the room who understood the reference. <laughs> um, so I came up with uh, John Wayne Tasty. Ooh. Um, you like that one? I do like that one. <laughs> uh, grease and desist. Um, and Condoleezza Spice. That's all I got. All I have. <laughs> I have all those in the chamber. Grease and desist. That's. I think that one's that one might be the winner of the three. Okay. Well, we shall see. Well, I'm glad it's back because I felt something was wrong. Something has been mortally wrong in the universe, and maybe that was it. Maybe this will finally be the course correction that humanity needs. <laughs> yes, this will set us aright. Thank you. All of our buttholes churning gas into the ozone layers <laughs> together. Somehow, like a, a more a morbid uh, Captain Planet. <laughs> Somehow, it will reverse the tide. Yeah, we, yeah, of, yeah. Of climate change. <laughs> All the methane we're going to be pushing into the fucking sky will somehow start start the healing that this Earth so poorly needs. <laughs> well, are you ready to do a little stumping and chumping? I've lost my confidence, and I. If I take another beating, well, here's the be, deal: my confidence will be shot. I know you need a W. No, no fault of your own. No, no. I know you need a W, my man. So I'm gonna go easy on you today. No, that's worse. Because then, if I get it wrong, um, I'll never recover, dude. If you get this one wrong today. Well, I don't know. We might have to have a little discussion. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> the pressure is mounting. <laughs> well, this one is related to um, uh, some recent, uh, a recent literary excursion I've been engaging in, too. So. Okay. But I'm not going to say any more than this, but I will be highly impressed if you don't get this one today. So... Let me get the timer up. We've got one minute on the clock. And the object of this game, for those of you who may not be familiar, is I'm going to give Pat selections from a filmography of a certain actor or actress. He's going to guess who it is within one minute. Everybody got that? We're all clear on the rules here. Capiche? So, starting with one minute on the clock. And here we go, going all the way to the beginning. 1970, Hercules in New York. Schwarzenegger. There we go. See? You got it. (laughs) (laughs) Boom. That, see, you beat my record. That was in five seconds. See? 
Well, I recently did the every Arnold ever. So I did watch every single one of his movies semi-recently. Did you finish it? Yeah. Yeah. So after going through his entire filmography, did you have any revelations? Do you have any, do you have a new favorite or are you sticking with the, with the old standards? All the, um, all the ones that ruled still rule. rule. And, um, I did not see anything like post the governor. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and, uh, another mutual friend of ours, Micah told me how much he loves this movie called The Last Stand. Right, I heard about it's that. Got Johnny Knoxville in it, and I was like, "Oh man, I don't know what this is going to be." And Forrest Whitaker is in it. It's fucking awesome. It's got to be his best later era movie. It is so fucking good. It's just, it's a just a high octane fucking like action modern day Western hybrid. It's so good. It's just, it's just phenomenal. Yeah, I remember you mentioning that, and I didn't even know that it existed. Ne- neither did I. He was like, man, I can't wait till you get to Last Stand, because that movie rules. And I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And then I got to it, and it was like, holy moly. And everything around it is not that great. Like, the movies that came right before and right after, like Maggie is right in there. That, that Maggie movie is not that great. Never heard of that either. I will say, like, comparatively to Stallone, because they're going to be compared for their whole careers, Schwarzenegger has nothing that's objectively terrible. He makes enough, like, sound decision-making that everything is palatable to some degree. Like, his worst movies are still, like, okay. Whereas Stallone has some reprehensible skeletons in his closet film closet (laughs) yeah yeah and we've had that discussion before because we've done one arnold film our first one our inaugural film we opened yeah the very first episode yeah we opened this podcast we opened this pit up with an arnie movie yeah if that says anything about our appreciation for the man's oeuvre um (laughs) So, but we had that discussion because we've done a few Stallones. Well, what, two? Cobra and Cliffhanger. We've done anything else. So we were having that discussion about how Stallone movies lend themselves more to the format that we're trying to kind of... Oh, and over the top. We've done three. So three. Yeah, that's why I I knew there was a third one in there. Um, So we were talking about how his stuff has lended itself more to the format the kind of current, the, the, the core format of what we're doing here than Arnold's, which. And Arnold like figured out Stallone never figured this out. Arnold figured out how to be genuinely funny. Like where we're not laughing at him. We're laughing with him. Right. Like from kindergarten cop on. But before that, like he, you could, he had, he was very charming and, and like, not funny, haha, but like funny and like a uh, giving delivering one liners that are like, you know, fun. And then he does kindergarten cop and it's like, oh, he's like can be like funny, funny. And then Stallone tried that over and over again, like stop or my mom will shoot. Like he kept at it and it just never fucking clicked. Like Stallone cannot be funny. 
at least not in like a comedy sense, but like he's funny in the Rocky movies. Um, But when he's trying too hard, it's it like it misses every time. And Schwarzenegger figured that out for some reason, which is crazy because Stallone is easily the better actor. Like he's a a film of a, a student of film. So that's just so strange. Right. It is interesting because yeah, Stallone is an actual thespian. Um, but it does make sense because I mean, they're both charismatic in their own way, but yeah, there is something about Arnold that makes him very, very charismatic. He's just a very engaging individual. And, um, not that long ago, I got his Encyclopedia of Modern Bodybuilding because oh, nice! I've string trained off and on for a long time now, and due to a variety of circumstances, my success at it has been mediocre at best. Because obviously, mm. being into uh, that sort of thing takes a lot of commitment and a lot of discipline, which. I do have to a certain extent, but because I work and I play in bands and all that stuff, it's it's hard for me to, you know, stay stay the course a lot. So I I uh, I, I I have to stop and I have to restart. Anyways, point being, I got this book because I'd read so much about how influential it was, obviously, and how it's literally like the Bible. And I started reading it, and I love it. And I don't know how much he's got ghostwriters involved or had ghostwriters involved in it, but it's, it is truly, it's a genuinely enjoyable read. And it's like 800 pages. It's huge. Wow. (laughs) What? (laughs) But it starts from the beginning. It's, it's not just about technique and how to develop your own regiment, but it's, it's a historical Kind of do- he's just trying to cover everything about bodybuilding from the very beginning. Nice. The history of it. That's awesome. He talks about his own trajectory. And yeah, his voice through it is so genuinely charming and funny. He's like, yeah, he's really smart. He's a really intelligent man, um, despite maybe some of his <laughs> political decisions and political leanings, <laughs> in my opinion. But that aside, yeah, he's a smart guy. Um, so. Anyways, I love that that picture they just posted on Instagram of Stallone and Schwarzenegger carving pumpkins together. So great. I would have like punched a fucking hole through my ceiling. I was like, <laughs> they're like the f- fucking friendship club forever. I, this is so adorable. Yeah. Speaking of I Mike, love it. Micah, he said when I posted that, he said, I hope they kissed after that. And I said, I hope they did, too. That would have been cute. <laughs> post that picture i want to see that (laughs) all right now that we got so off track let's steer this back to slauson's 24-hour grocery and roadside (laughs) mannequin outlet like we were saying we're talking about tourist trap and the synopsis of this movie is well these young kids they just get themselves into this pickle because they're mm. having some car yeah. troubles alongside of the road. Getting them, just what kind of syrup are they going to get themselves into when they go to this creepy, rundown, clearly abandoned roadside gas station to fix a tire? 
and it goes how every horror movie has ever started in the history of time exactly one of their one of their cadre their troop goes to go fix the tire and he is greeted by a building full of maniacal chattering violent mannequins and puppets that murder him and from there on his friends have to go find him and one by one they get ensnared by this mysterious killer that apparently is the mastermind behind uh, operating this house of mannequin horrors so there you go tourist trap synopsis that's the episode there you go. So next week we're gonna do. That was it. Well, hope you enjoyed another mid- dive into midnight madness. <laughs> <laughs> we do have to do two episodes, so let's, let's wrap it up. That's why. Yeah, that's why. We're on a double header tonight. <laughs> Yeah. None of you know this. All of you, you you will all see this in two separate episodes. Yeah. But don't worry, you won't have to deal with four fucking hours of us going on. Not consecutively. Not no. consecutively. All right. So the budget was eight hundred thousand dollars, which that seems about right, I suppose. I don't know how much was made. I couldn't find any numbers on it. But as far as notable critical reception, I pulled this quote. Our guy Stephen King Praised the film as an obscure classic, noting that the film wields an eerie, spooky power as waxed figures begin to move and come to life in a ruined, out-of-the-way tourist resort. We all know how much our boy Stephen King likes bringing inanimate objects to life. I know. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny you found him. I didn't even know he had spoken to this movie, but the telekinetic stuff, right. uh, the telekinesis in this is, is very Kingian. So that's fun. Yeah. I'm sure. He, I, I'm glad he enjoyed it. Yeah. I'm sure. He felt a certain kinship to it because it borrows liberally from some of his, uh, tropes. Right. Yeah. Without being like, you know, pedantic or anything. Yeah. You're, you're, you're more well-versed than the King, uh, the King of Earth and I am. I've I've read a number of his books, but I know you uh, you've read quite a quite a bit. So I was always I have, and even even I have like scratched the surface. There's people that I know that have read so much more than even I have. So which is crazy. I know there's a ton out there. I would never. There's a yeah. He just has so much. He's he's very prolific. My friend Dawn, she was like, hey, did you read the new one? And I was like, uh, I named one that came out like three years ago. I can't remember the name of it now. She's like, no, it's called this and that. And <laughs> it's not actually called that. But Please tell it me it's called like this, this and that. <laughs> that <laughs> Stephen King's this and that. <laughs> two, two twin <laughs> trapeze artists joined at the hip. Yeah. Um, no, he like, came out with one this year. I was like, I didn't fucking know about that. What the hell? Yeah, no, he just churns them out still. Well, bless his heart. He came out recently and uh, uh, was like, what's this Terrifier movie? He like didn't know 
anything about it. He sounds like a total fucking boomer. He was like, I, I like to know more about this movie called The Terrifier. Yeah. Like, you know, calling it Kroger's or like all that <laughs> shit. <laughs> Kroger. <laughs> Wait. Adding S's when you shouldn't, adding the's when there's not yeah. when there's no need. Not adding an S when there is one. Um <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, he, he was and then he started like he was like, saw it, loved it, and was just like touting how great Terrifier and Terrifier 2 is. So, Yeah, that's interesting. I've seen this um, uptick in people representing Terrifier online. Well, on Instagram, because that's all. That, that is the extent of my social media universe. I notice sometimes there's certain movies that I like or have seen that at one point maybe it either faded out or maybe not so many people knew about it. Then all of a sudden I see on social media, all these people posting about it. And Oh, well that movie re-entered the zeitgeist apparently. But I noticed that with terrifier, I keep seeing people posting the clown guy. Well, the second one just came out. That's probably why. Okay. There you go. I didn't know that. I mean, they literally, they talked about terrifier two on of all places, the fucking view. All right. (laughs) That's interesting. Well, they didn't bring it up. Jerry O'Connell, who I like a lot, he brought it up and was like, I brought my 13-year-old daughters to go see Terrifier 2 this weekend. Uh, Way to go, Jerry. <laughs> he's like, don't he's like, don't call CPS on me. He's like, I, I want to show them horror movies. Don't call CPS, you fucking freaks. I just want to enjoy horror movies with my daughters. I thought it was tight. Yeah, was there, so he was pimping the movie on The View. Wonder if there was any like Gein, Ed Gein esque vaginal bisecting. Oh, in this I'm, one. It's, it's like two and a half hours. Oh, gee, I do. There's no fucking way. I when I saw the runtime, I was not stoked. I was like, I'm going to see it, but I, there's no way they can hold my attention for two and a half hours. Yeah, not with that. Like, not a movie like that. No. That needs. That's like eighty minutes. Give me eighty minutes of that. Two and a half hours of people getting like cut in half and yeah like yeah hog tied and eviscerated like yeah I, that's too it's too much too much come on every movie's got to be this gargantuan slog anymore apparently it's getting everyone has seen it has said it's fucking phenomenal so i don't know no nope. i gotta go see it okay. but anyway well on that note you want to move into talking about this movie yeah, <laughs> kind of, we can, we'll get there. We'll get there. It's like winding on the back roads to get to a obscure, rundown tourist attraction here. We're just, there it we're is. just taking the scenic route. That's all. Over I'm there. I'm going to take your skivvy. Your... <laughs> there, there's, the, there's where the evil clown guy butchers women. And over there. No, don't Arnold bring Tor- us back. <laughs> no, we just, we, we are on the tourist trap road. You brought us back. Okay. I was... Gently putting my teeth on your skivvies and pulling them down so we can bathe in a local watering hole. Yeah. All right. That's that's where we are. Okay. On that note, let's get into the good, the bad, and the questionable.
starting with, as always, what if we change it up and we talk about the bad right up front and just talk about how all the shitty things. We're not going to do that shit, though. Oh, okay. It's like a topsy-turvy, okay. freaky Friday. And this and that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I have at the top of my list, you know how I like to talk about this sort of related material. Let me tell you, 70s titties. Ah, okay. <laughs> That's where we're starting. I, I had no idea. I thought it was going to be sound tra- or like sound design. <laughs> that threw you a curveball there. Design of those tits instead. Okay. <laughs> no, uh, seriously. Uh, there's a tube top that uh, Tanya Roberts wears in this, and it's uh, it's quite um, form fitting, and I'm, I'm, I I enjoy it quite a bit. So. Yeah, I I like a, a good uh, watering hole scene. I I guess I could have saved this for the questionable, but because I that watering hole scene is is so fun. There's not like just a good watering hole anymore in no. movies. But I, I don't know local watering hole etiquette, let's say. But <laughs> say, for instance, you st- <laughs> you stumble upon three topless women swimming in a body of water on your property. Does that legally give you the right to debate local infrastructure with them? <laughs> right. And if so, are they required to continue swimming topless? Well, while you berate them about how that well this was wasn't an interstate ten ten years ago. <laughs> yeah. Once again, all the red flags are just being waved furiously in the faces of our our young uh our young victims here. But they Slauson reminds me uh of Slauson reminds me of Chief Wiggum when he's in the police helicopter and Homer and Marge are swimming naked in a pool and he's got like the spotlight on him. And he's like, continue swimming naked. <laughs> Come on, continue. Like Slauson comes down, takes a knee and is like, let me tell you about some, some local infrastructure yeah. that I have a problem with. Give, give me and some, they're like, I'm going to give you some lore here. Yeah. Let me mansplain infrastructure to you. And they're like, well, we got to cover our tits. And he's like, no, no, continue swimming naked while I tell you about this. Yeah. I don't mind. <laughs> but they're on his property. So like, I feel like they're like, well, damn, we got to listen to him. Yeah. He's going to say, you know, I've been around. I've been around the track. It's nothing I've never seen before. It's fine. Yeah. You th- you think this old codger hasn't seen a, a pair of calcium cannons a before? A pair of cans? Come has. on. Come on. I've seen Depression Era cans. <laughs> and they were depressing. <laughs> they were depressing. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> okay. Well, we got that out of the way. Um, You know... Really, the centerpiece of this movie that makes it unique, I would say, because there's a lot of tropes. It's, there's a lot of um, tro- often trod kind of ideas in this movie, granted. Where are you at with, uh, I would put the tropes specifically in this movie in my good. I like good, I like horror tropes in yeah. a movie that's... Um, like from this long ago, I don't like horror tropes in modern film as much because yeah. I feel like they just need to reconceptualize or like come up with a, a fresher idea, right? <laughs> than rehashing the same old tropes. But I like tropes as breadcrumbs from these seventies and and eighties uh, style films. It, it feels comforting to me. Like, oh, you're there's a roadside attraction. You're 
you got a flat tire. Like I, I love all those those types of tropes in these in in horror movies like this. Yeah, I agree, and I think for the critical response that I read about this, that was always a detraction for people. But yeah, I mean, considering the amount of stuff that I consume that is some sort of reiteration of a trope, that doesn't bother me. That doesn't bother me I think me at all. if this wasn't paired with, um, if the tropes were not paired with what I consider to be like one of the mu- most unique killers in a slasher movie, like right. they take some real time and attention towards creating a real signature look. Um, but having like the killer Don different looks as his signature, but they all are under the same like sort of vapid uh, mannequin aesthetic to him when he wears the masks. He just like has different accessories for each personality. I, I think it's like genuinely unique. I, I don't I can't think of something like before or since that has a killer like that. And then they throw like this weird like telekinetic shit yeah. into the mix. And it's like genuinely like unique and cool. And and but then you have like the horror tropes on top of that. I think it's a good it's a good mix of the two. Yeah, and what I was going to say is also with the addition of the 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 haunted telekinetically controlled mannequins and puppets. So it's like you have these aspects of it. That's why I think it's interesting that it got flack for certain typical tropes, but it has this whole other aspect of it that really set it apart from a lot of movies. And it has that distinctive wild 70s kind of style to it because of it because at that point you know horror was in its middle age let's say yeah horror cinematic horror so sure you know we hadn't fully it was we hadn't fully entered into the the bog of slasherdom it was still kind of in its nascent form so I think like in the 70s, there was a lot of experimentation with this stuff. And I think that's where it kind of shines, like you were saying, is it, it took some of these tropes, but then added a whole different spin to it. So I agree. That's what I like about this movie is it has those kind of different little things about it that just sets it a, a little bit apart from some of the other movies that would have been coming out of the time or where it would get lumped into. But the thing about it, the, the, the mannequins is that's, what's interesting is how it really plays into this idea that I think people have this sort of fear of mannequins because of their uncanny valleyness and this idea that there is some sort of, um, personality that's imbued in them when you see a mannequin and you think about maybe if it's in a store or a shop after hours like the mannequin comes to life or something like that you know it has this supernatural ability unto itself or you look at a mannequin while you're walking through a store and you think it's like watching you so it plays into a fear that people have 
<laughs> and there's definitely like mannequin horror, like yeah. Frank Zito in Maniac. Right. There's, there's tons of like which came after Maniacs. this. So it did, yeah. and uh, a movie that we both like in Fabric, right? In uh, fabric is more of a stylistic, like uh, high end Suspiria inspired mannequin horror, but yeah. But that's what I'm saying, though. I feel like this was the first. It's like it harkens to more yeah, of, of, a, right. of a Twilight Zone sort of aesthetic in there's, that, in there's, that regard. There's a Twilight Zone episode about department store mannequins. Right. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. That's where I think it gets a little bit more of a unique shine to it because it's pulling not from just straight slasher, you know, cut them up titties blood sort of you know stalkerish sort of tropes it has this whole other weird uncanny valley supernatural aspect to it supernatural yeah. layer to it and i really like that and about it's it. been it's that's intrinsic in horror like that uh, that twilight zone episode's called um, the after hours but yeah. that's a fantastic episode so like rod serling was on that tip you know some some 15 years before this movie came out too so yeah it, it's i in it in and it of itself is almost a, a horror trope like the creepy mannequin for sure rod serling the uh, purveyor of so many unique ideas oh we could do a whole rod serling <clears throat> podcast i fucking <laughs> yeah i love and and miss that chain smoking maniac <laughs> there's something so uh his voice is like you know the equivalent of asmr like yeah it's it's uh when you hear like take a trip to the twilight zone and it's like entrancing i it's uh i i can't i can't imagine what people thought of it in the 60s um but yeah yeah it's great. It really did break a lot of barriers. That that show unto itself really reinvented so much. Oh yeah, race and and sexuality and and it was tackling all sorts of of real taboo subjects. Just but using like horror and sci-fi as a as a kind of buffer to talk about those without getting in trouble. Similar to Star Trek, right? Yeah, it was able to veil it enough and and package it. Where it could, people didn't know they were being talked to about, (laughs) because God forbid they would lose their minds if they were talked about racial inequality in the sixties. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and now, (laughs) or now, fuck, damn, learn nothing ever. Um, you brought this up when I I mentioned this, but uh, you you said that you have a. Uh, a particular love for the, the roadside attraction theme. Oh yeah, especially with the, you brought up uh, not one of my favorites, as we know, but you brought up House of a Thousand Corpses. Which, incidentally, if I do give any any accolades to that movie, it is the aspect of the roadside attraction. Everything about that movie leading up to a certain point, I don't mind, and that's part of it. So. Yeah, the the murder ride in House of a Thousand Corpses is so fun. Like I, I, it, it, I, I love the the aesthetics of the 
of the roadside attraction as as Rob Zombie kind of, uh, you know, perceives it in that in that film. You know, we're both, you know, critical assessors of his. Yeah. Um, but I do like some some of his stuff, and I, I, you don't particularly care for it, but I like a thousand House of Thousand Corpses. Yeah, I just felt like it was a movie that could have had a lot more opportunity. But again, I've discussed it. I do really like Devil's Rejects, and that's that's where it lays for me with that guy. Um, it's funny that this discussion about the roadside attraction did lead me to be inspired myself. I went on a recent road trip. I had to deliver a van to L.A., and I had this thought where I've done a lot of traveling, but I don't do a lot of touristy stuff. Because typically when I travel, it's I'm on tour or whatever. Yeah. I'm going to a show. It has something to do with music, and this did too, But because I was delivering a van for a, a touring band back to L.A. Uh, but there's been a few things that I've wanted to do for a while, and I made the time to go check out some of this stuff. I did in L.A. too. I even lived in L.A. for a little bit, and there was tourist things that I'd never done that I was I'm going to do it. I wouldn't I... I went to Elvira's grave. Whoa, that's tight. Never did it before. All this time, finally made it. Made a point to go to Hollywood forever, dude. That's all. I'm, I'm glad you took some took some roadside time. I went and saw the Hearst Castle finally. Oh yeah, I saw you. I saw the pictures that you posted from that. Looks absolutely. Perfectly creepy. I love the fog that's rolling through it. It's yeah. just, it looks insane. Other Otherworldly, like Lovecraftian. Absolutely. Absolutely otherworldly. And I had had all these conceptions about how cool it was going to be because it's one of those bucket list items for years. And it really, it met all of my expectations. Hard to meet high expectations. It was so cool. The whole area around it is really amazing and beautiful and weird. It's just if you ever get a chance, I highly recommend you go check it out because it's it's really something. Sounds great. So, but there was no creepy mannequins. There was plenty of creepy things about it, but no creepy mannequins. <laughs> no, no mannequins. But yeah. it definitely gave a very haunted vibe. I even asked the tour guide. I said, "So, I said, how haunted is this place?" She was very reluctant to. She was being cagey about it. She's like, "Well, I don't. Mm. I've never had any evidence of it, but you talk to other people oh. around here, and they'll." They'll tell you different. <laughs> I like that. I I, try, I like that more than like immediately somebody has a story. Right. I don't know. I always feel like that that can't be trustworthy. Um, how do you feel about Chuck Connors in general as the role of Slauson? Big Slauson guy. He wears a lot of hats in this, both literally and figuratively. Yeah, he does. Uh, he has to shift shift gears from an acting perspective uh in a, in a cool and interesting way i feel like this is a a meaty role that an actor can really sink their teeth into and i think he's great he's a very uncharacteristic slasher bad guy yeah normally you don't get the forward facing personality of the of the villain so it's weird to see him go in and out of being the bad guy in this. Um, but, you know, he's not going to go down. It's not going to be like 
My favorites are Leatherface, Freddy, Mr. Slauson, <laughs> Jason. Like he's probably not, not going to crack the top ten, no. but it's it's an interesting performance. I I think he really revels in it. Yeah, and he does a good job of being able to pivot from being this charming kind of folksy old hermit to being this genuinely unhinged kind of goofy kind of weird zany kind of guy and when there's there's like scenes where like like the one where he's uh where he's talking to himself but he's like serving everybody tea or food of some sort yeah that's i had and he goes in and out of the different voices and he's like i said that it's like yeah i want bread yeah i already said that like it's (laughs) it's, yes and the but the music in the background is just disarming because it's like do 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 it's like it's like goofy music so you're like what the fuck am I? it's not you, it's a real testament to sound design because if you had yeah. like very creepy music there it would really ramp up the uh the scene and play it for more scary but having like goofball music plays it <laughs> plays it for silly but i don't hate that i i think it is like Silly is almost a, a different vibe in terms of like it, that can be perceived as scary, right? Yeah, it is interesting. I did also have that I really like the sound design and the soundtrack, and it does play into kind of toying with you in that way. Um, I don't know if I'm fully on board with some of the motifs that get put in there, but I do like that dichotomy or what you're saying about how. You would think in that instance it would be a little bit more sinister music, but it's not. It's it's like carnival music or whatever. It is. It's very like car. It's carny music. It's when he's doing the back and forth. It is like a who's on first routine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I like where um, he's he's applying the plaster to Tina's face, and he's having yeah. that discussion with her about how it's going to affect her and she's going to notice it start to heat up and then her breath is going to be taken away. And uh, <laughs> it's like how yeah, he's kind of, co- he's kind of coaching her through it as he's murdering her. <laughs> have you seen, have we talked about bucket of blood? Oh, the Corman movie. Yeah. The, with Dick Miller. No, but I, I wanted to hint, hint. So, that movie fucking rules. Yeah. Um, but it reminds me, me of that because yeah. he makes these plaster cast things of he's he's seen as a skillful uh, uh, statue maker, but he's just plaster casting dead things. He starts with animals, but then upgrades to humans. And everyone thinks he's like this like Da Vinci of fucking uh, st- statue making, but he's a fraud. Yeah, he's a hack. <laughs> but. Yeah, yeah, it's great. That it's, movie's great. It's one of them. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I didn't think about that comparison, but it, it does have, I feel, a certain bit of DNA related to that as well. That scene specifically reminded me of it, yeah. Um, what are, I guess, I have things that could be questions, but they relate to goods, so I don't know. Maybe I'll just put them in here. Um, what are some of your favorite mannequins or puppets or statues i really enjoy yeah. the historical ones that are 
on display. <laughs> Those are fun. Like the, I guess I make a distinction between the background ones, yeah, um, and like the weird killer ones that he brings to life yeah. through his telekinesis, and the ones he chooses to embody. So like, Slauson has many faces in this. He's got the uh, the bucket hat mannequin, right? <laughs> that's like going fishing. Uh, there's like the weird Parisian leather face looking one. Right. It's like French leather face. Yeah. Um, le leather face. Uh, and then there's like this one that looks like Robert Goulet on like the fourth night of a drinking bender mannequin. Like it's like bloated Robert Goulet mask. I don't even know how to describe it. Yeah. So he goes through. I love all three of those. Yeah. I had my list. There was the sailor bucket hat guy, which was supposed to be emulating the first victim, I believe. Okay. Woody. Woody. Uh, there's Eileen. There's the Leatherface one. And the one that you're talking about, the Robert Goulet one, I called the Tony Clifton Magician. <laughs> <laughs> and, same, same thing. We're in the same <laughs> arena. And then there's Blondie. The oh, blonde, yeah. Blonde yeah. one. Yeah. Where he's running, yeah. he's running through the woods towards Molly. That's one of my favorite scenes where he's got the blonde wig on, and he's holding the Woody mannequin head, the the bucket head, the bucket hat. And he's chasing yeah. her <laughs> again. Though it's played for goofy. It's it. This movie makes some some weird decisions. I don't hate it, but yeah, some shit is like abjectly terrifying. And then you have that weird carny music in the background and you don't know how to feel yeah i think it's also a product of the 70s somehow like texas chainsaw remains a instant classic that is like unfuckwithable because it does not use too many like 70s transition scenes that feel like uh like we're gonna put up a barn today like yeah there's lots of real hokey fucking 70s music that dates 70s movies yeah texas chainsaw massacre will always be so singularly unique because it plays like a documentary it plays like a snuff film yeah it wasn't trying to uh <laughs> yeah like you know, um, raindrops keep falling on my head. There's not like a scene like where that song plays <laughs> right. and you're like, oh, okay. They're like going cross country or whatever. Yeah. Um, well, isn't, th- so what is the song in last house on the left? Oh, I, like, uh, I, that's so funny that you brought that up. Cause that's immediately what I was going to say was in regards to that issue. Last house on the left is a prime example. I don't remember what song he uses, but I Craven uses it in an interesting way because he uses it as like a dichotomy between abject violence and the like hippy dippy, the death of the of, you know, of that move of the flower power. movement. Right. And that's funny that you bring that up because a friend of mine who I brought up on this podcast before branded. He does not like Last House on the Left because of that glaring dichotomy to him. Whereas I basically was trying to explain to him what you just said. That the the dichotomy is intentional. It's not just 
they just put this song in there that sticks out like a sore thumb because they had no other choice or recourse or it was a, just a bad decision. There's an intent to it. It's supposed to be there to represent something. Um, the idea, yeah, it's, it's very intentional. Yeah, it's very intentional. Yeah. So, you know, and and that's the thing. It's I think it's intentional in this movie as well, of course, to have that dichotomy of the creepy eeriness with the quirky kind of off kilterness, trying to find this like middle ground with it. Yeah, it's a different vibe for sure. Um, do you have anything else that you like? I I like um, Slauson's uh, altar to his dead wife as well. Yeah. Solid, solid uh, death altar. Another red flag because they're all hanging out in that den with all the the mannequins and the puppets, and they're all just like, "Ha ha! Look at this! Look at this queer, 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 uh, quirky uh, <laughs> uh, old codger with his with his puppets and mannequins, and he's got one of his dead wife. Oh, isn't that adorable? It's, it's <laughs> not, not you know, not even giving it a second thought." Yeah, this Scooby-Doo gang was taught almost no fucking (laughs) social awareness whatsoever. They really are a Scooby-Doo gang. (laughs) They are. (laughs) They're all represented. Um, Well, Jinkies. No more. Yeah, (laughs) there is a very Jinkies quality to them finding out everything in this. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, but we can move on if there's no more good to bestow on it. I... I feel like we didn't go uh, over enough good, but I do want to genuinely say that, like, I, I like this. I like this movie a lot. It's just, it's very simple. It's there's not like a ton to go into here. Yeah, where, uh, you know. Yeah, I just I have a good time watching this. I actually recently put together on TikTok. I do the ten greatest slasher movies from every decade. Yeah, and I did the seventies like two weeks ago, and this was on there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would put it. I'd say it's one of the ten best slashers from the seventies, which is crazy because the seventies were finding their footing in one what a slasher was. But you still have Texas Chainsaw and Halloween, and you know there's a ton of shit and all the Giallo shit that was coming out at the time. So yeah, for sure. But I'd put it up there. I'd put it in the top ten, and I did. So that's great. So bad. Um, there's definitely some aspects of this script that could have been buttoned up a little bit better. One glaring issue I have with it is they give it away too easily that Slauson is the killer. From the jump. From the oh jump. Oh my God. It's like, oh, okay, that's the guy. <laughs> right? <laughs> he, co- he comes up, takes a knee at the watering hole. It's like, oh, okay, there's the killer. There, yeah. where, are we, where, are we going? where are we going with this? They, didn't, they didn't even try to swerve you. Yeah. He, he just comes moseying on up with his infrastructure plan for the topless women. And you're like, this guy for sure is the killer. Yeah. Speaking of Giallo, they don't do any any deaf Giallo maneuvering with obscuring the killer, the identity of the killer. There's not enough twists and turns to, to be like, oh, maybe it's that person. Or maybe it's that person. No, it's they that come, guy. Yeah. <laughs> one step, they, they literally are like one step short of literally showing him changing masks in the other room <laughs> before he like, like, they come one just one step short of just that. Like, yeah, there's little to no mystery in this. That's why it's so simple. Like, there's not not a lot of twists and 
twists and turns in this one. And the character motivation is questionable and bad. It's just like, what? It's like W-Y-D in all caps. What you doing? All of you. What are you all doing? Why are you all bad at being in a horror movie? Which brings me to the next thing <laughs> that's bad. The victims. They're stupid as fuck. But I guess, like, you are okay with them dying? <laughs> right. Yeah, it is one of those things where how much sympathy are you supposed to be imbued with? With Carpenter said this about Friday the 13th. It, he wasn't saying it as a critique. He was just saying it very matter-of-factly. He says every single character in Friday the 13th is the same archetype. Yeah. Uh, it's the, They're all the same version of this teenage archetype that's set up to be knocked down. And that's like the premise of Friday the 13th is to just set up as many of these archetypes that are the same and just for Jason to kill them all. He wasn't complaining about it. He was just saying like, there's not a single character in Friday the 13th that's different other than like, no, there's none. There's none. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. With the exception of with the first one, there is the final girl in that one where she's a little bit more innocent. She's a little bit more, you, you, you at least have some modicum of sympathy for her. Yeah. I, was, I stopped myself short of saying like, other than the final girl representation, but the Friday the 13th does the least amount of final girling of any of the franchise. They don't really attempt to, do that much with it they don't it's not that it's a movie for carnage right for carnage's sake yeah uh i started reading a book uh called sleaze artists where i haven't gotten to it yet because it's farther in but they're talking about how friday the 13th is a pariah in a lot of ways in the horror world because it achieved a great degree of success but it is still very much rooted in camp exploitation. So what happened is it, 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 it kind of gets embattled on all sides. Critical. Yeah. It gets it from, it gets it from both sides. Yeah, you're right. What's that? It gets it from, it's getting it from both ends because it's, it's easy fodder for, uh, you know, critics and fans alike. Right. So, but then I think they're trying to state the thesis is that it elevates it to a whole nother category of being, uh, you know, unique, whipping boy, unique and interesting because it's achieved a whole nother like stat. Anyways, when I, that's interesting. Maybe I'll report back on what I've gathered from that essay. Please do. Uh, also bad. Man, Jerry is a really bad fighter. Just just could not fight his way out of a wet paper bag, that guy. I also just don't understand. I this might be a like this is probably a good way to be in this situation, but the Scooby-Doo gang seems mighty chill to be tied up in the basement awaiting death. Right. Like not really. No one's com- no one's complaining. <laughs> No one's really that distraught. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just don't get it. They just their lack of survival 
uh, motivated. <laughs> dude, it is the largest, it's the biggest group of people who don't care about dying. Like they are so, Res- they are so okay with it. They're just resigned. They're like, ah. They've resigned to the fact that they're going to die. <laughs> it, there's, there is no, there's not, there's very little like screaming and like distress. Like everyone's just kind of, oh, okay. Guess I'm tied up in the basement now. <laughs> and then there's like another girl that's not part of their group that's also in the basement, and like nobody asks her like, "Who the fuck are you? Where? When did you get here? Yeah. What's this guy's deal? Uh, what, are you okay? Like, what is like? How do we get out of here? They're like, "Oh, you're down here too." Mm, okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> good. Kind of just chill. When the first question you see a, a you're tied up in the basement, you see someone who's not part of your group also tied up in the basement. Would you not be like, who the fuck are? Nobody even asks her who the fuck she is. Yeah, <laughs> no one cares. Yeah, you almost okay. you have to think about it for a moment when you because her name's Tina from what I've gathered. Tina, uh, yeah, but you have to you have to figure it out for a moment because she looks like the rest of them too. So. That's the problem. All the girls in this, there's none of them really stand out. So you're all there. You're all like, I'm just just staring at the areolas, trying to figure out who's who here. Like, it's not easy. Yeah, you have to think for a moment. Where did she come from? Was she with them before? I don't remember her being there before. The movie doesn't even ask. The movie, the doesn't, movie even. doesn't even care. <laughs> the movie doesn't ask. Nothing. She's just by herself. Apparently, she's out roaming around. In the backwoods. We literally don't know any. We don't know how she got there, what what group she was a part of. If they survived, probably not. But like, I I, I kind of like how it just like doesn't give a fuck about any of that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, we got that. I kind of mentioned this. I do like the, the whimsical kind of quirky aspects of the soundtrack, but sometimes it gets a little grating on my nerves. But I'll also say that Molly, the resident wet blanket of the movie, yes. uh, this might be the soonest I've ever wanted someone to die in a horror movie since Franklin in Texas Chainsaw. Like, it's hard to get on screen and be like, I'm going to immediately be the one everyone wants to die first. But you do that very effectively when three girls are like, let's get topless and swim. And one of them's like, you know, we don't have bathing suits. We can't do that. <laughs> it's like, all right. Yeah, she's a real, she's a real momo, real moaning. Get out of here! Real, but then, incidentally, she ends up being the the final girl. She's the final girl. Molly is one of the worst final girls ever. She's, she's right up there with with Alice from Nightmare on Elm Street four and five. Yeah, she's fucking like, terrible. She sucks. Also, that ending. There are so many endings in the 70s that are just like a still shot on like a hog in the back of a uh, in the on the back of like a pickup. And it's just like (laughs) dueling banjo music. You're like, what the fuck happened? Like, how is this the ending of the fucking movie? Yeah, I had it in my questionable, but it's also bad because it's just a real weak land. It's kind of like when we were talking about we were talking about Barbarian last. It's a very weak land. Whereas they didn't really stick uh, the landing, they attempted to wrap things up. Um, it's hard to go. F- uh, I, Barbarian is like you got the foot on foot on the gas, going ninety, and your exit is like 
on the right and you have to go across three lanes of traffic, it's hard to come to a stop and, and exit properly yeah. when you're going 90 miles an hour in a movie. This one could have could have figured out something else. Yeah, I would have at least like, man, just give me some giant explosion. Like, that's what it needed, right? You know, just blow up fucking Slauson's compound. Make, make Molly... I, I can't... I was going to say, I can't just, there's so many seventies movies like this where, so like in this one, Molly is in the, in a car with like a bunch of the mannequins and she's driving off into the sunset, but she's clearly like catatonic. Like, yeah, (laughs) she's, she's, yeah, she's been rendered mad by the experience and she's decided that she's now going to be what the, the matriarch, the mannequin matriarch somewhere. (laughs) A replacement of Slauson's wife. Yeah. Now she just is. She's she's doomed for a lifetime of infrastructure debate (laughs) amongst her mannequins. She's just (laughs) in some padded room somewhere. Well, you know, and they there's a high pie. It's really oh, all the businesses just went. It's yeah. What's truly truly haunting? But I really, I I I really wanted some just some just shit my pants like what the fuck that was awesome ending again just find some it's really easy it's 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 the fucking uh, Chekhov's gun here right put some fucking ex- <laughs> put some fucking explosives somewhere on the compound come on you know he's got to have some sort of like gunpowder and dynamite and some shit i don't know make something up macgyver some shit with what's on the compound and blow his fucking place up there you go, boom, and then I would drive I would off. have sworn it was like like a perfectly serviceable ending that I would have telegraphed from the beginning was you cut to a future date that we don't know how long it's been, and somebody uh, sees the 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 sign for Slauson's yeah. uh, roadside emporium or whatever, and they like a couple turns off because they're like, oh, let's see what this is. You're always telling us. Right. They're always telling me we need to do be more spontaneous. Let's go down this road. So I thought it would be something like that. But yeah, a la Psycho, which this movie draws heavily from. So if you're going to draw that much from it, draw that from it, too. It's it's weak and weird. You know, Slauson going to the basement, having some conversation with his wife's mannequin. Whatever. There could have been something. But yes. We've come up with great ideas here. Right. Exactly. The thing is, I don't I don't want to jump too far ahead, but when we talk about the next movie, I feel like we can have this discussion with this as well. Um so much opportunity to really if if you're thinking about money, if you're a money guy, if you're a producer, let's say you're a producer of this film and you're and I and I get it. At this time, it's the seventies. The idea of the horror franchise sequel didn't really manifest yet. But let's say you're speaking of telegraphing. You're telegraphing the future of this franchise. You could have derived so much more potential out of sequels by doing more, sprucing things up a little bit. Yeah. They weren't thinking of the long game of franchise rights and fucking money out the ass with Tourist Trap 7. 
Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Tour strap seven. Slauson's back problems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So many so many good things that could have happened. Yeah. Okay. Questionable. I I kind of already asked uh all, most of my questionable in the other parts. But do you have any questions? Um, yeah, I did ask all my questions as well. Um, it, here's a question for you. Do you like that the killer talks in this uh, as much as he does? We don't we rarely see the killer talk at all. They're oftentimes they're silent uh, or they're like a Freddy where they're like wisecracking. Yeah. Um, but do you like that? We the the curtain was pulled so far off of the killer where we got like a lot of screen time on him. Does that ruin anything for you? Like with Texas Chainsaw, Leatherface is not on screen very much, but you feel his presence yeah, uh, throughout the film. As And you're like, well, you walk away thinking it's one, the goriest movie ever, and it actually has little to no gore in it. And two, that that motherfucker is literally behind every corner and he's like barely in the movie. Yeah, I don't think it bothers me that much because we even noted that we like some of the the dialogue. No, I I like I like the yeah I like it. Yeah, I think it's a it's a swerve because it's it's definitely a swing because that that's not traditionally how you build tension is not not by identifying with the killer throughout the entire movie. Well, and the thing with Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the lack of the dialogue with Leatherface is. I guess is buffered or it, it's at least it's um what is it? it? It's at least affected more by the fact that there's dialogue coming from his family. Yeah. They're, they're the in, even in the sequels, they're all the talkative one. The Sawyer clan the Sawyer are clan, yeah. all like very talkative. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, that's the thing with Parker. they are the Jimmy Hart and he is the Hulk Hogan. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> if you didn't have the dialogue from the cook and from the hitchhiker in the first one, you you'd be missing a good chunk of that movie because there's so much choice dialogue going on with that. So I don't. Yeah. But yeah. It doesn't it doesn't bother me. I don't really. It doesn't get in the way of me appreciating the film or make me think, oh, it, it detracts from the overall creepiness of the movie. I think it kind of enhances it to a certain extent. But Yeah, I agree. Um, anything else? No more questions. Yeah, because, again, we kind of already discussed it. I, I just wanted to talk about the ending. The obvious question, why would you go into a clearly abandoned roadside station? But that's just a trope that, of course, gotta gotta move the plot along somehow. So have this dingus fucking go into this place and ask as if somebody is in there. You you go into an aban- a clearly abandoned, dusty, disheveled, inoperable building, and you start asking if somebody's in there to help you. What a white person fucking thing to do. Yeah. Hey, anybody back there? Hey, can I get some service out here? <laughs> That's another bad. There's nary a minority to be seen in this movie. <laughs> not even in, not even represented in the mannequins. Well, isn't there like an Indian chief? So even when they are represented, they're uh, caricatures. <laughs> well, it's interesting too because this 
movie, the locale is supposed to be Southern California. It feels very Southern, just act like yeah, just the southern, South. Yeah, the South. It doesn't feel like it's West Coast Southern or no, it doesn't Southwest. It feels like it's in the South. It could be in Alabama. Yeah, yeah Florida, absolutely right. So, anyways, okay, so. We're going to move on to our awards and categories section of the podcast. Here we go. Oh, I got a, I got a barking doggy out there. I hear your puppers. He's a barking. I don't know why. Something's got Dead. it. Dead. Something's got Dead. it riled up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it feels good, doesn't it? Huh? Cool and soothing. as it starts to dry gets very hot almost burning the skin you'll panic as I seal the lips is getting tired your world is dark you'll never see again it's getting hard to breathe isn't it i'm going to seal the last what a ding dong okay david mendelhall goes to the worst performance you won't i mean of the of the victims we've got uh a real poo-poo platter <laughs> a poo-poo platter of bad. I mean, I think it's Molly. Yeah. But, but is played it? by Jocelyn Jones, who doesn't even have a Wikipedia hyperlink on her name. Yeah. But it's but that's the thing with this is is it her performance is it just so much as she's just an insufferable character that's played by The character is bad, and I don't even think it's uh performed well. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. I will I will be in agreement with you on that one. The Frank Lin- Linnea Quigley was one of the mannequins? Oh, you see, it gave away one of my little wiki wormholes. But yes, Linnea, Linnea Quigley, this is an early, early role for her. God damn it. <laughs> but see, that, you know, that's that spruces it up a little bit, too, that we got Lin- Linnea. You could always uh, edit it out. No, that's... I'll, I'll pretend to be surprised if you do. No, I'm not going to do that. Okay. No, we we won't fake it. We don't fake it till we make it here at Midnight Flicks. <laughs> nope, we just fail and fail and fail. <laughs> we just yeah, fail and fail and fail again. Uh, Frank Booth Award goes to the character who best belongs in a David Lynch movie. Well, yeah, it's Slauson. Yeah, I mean it's one of those. Yeah, Slauson. Who else? Easily. The E.G. Daily Secret Admirer Award goes to the biggest on-screen crush. I said Tanya Roberts. Again, I mentioned her right off the top. That tube top is really, it's a, it's kind of a, it just it really draws the eye to it. Tell you what. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm yeah. A big I'd, fan. Uh, I'd double down on that. Mm-hmm. Not, that's not a, a 
sexual innuendo. I'm also choosing her for this category. Yes. Uh, the welcome to prime time. Uh, the welcome to prime time bitch award goes to the best one liner. Did you have a best one liner? Not really. I love the I I love the back and forth when he's talking to himself at the dinner table. I had a I, um, I had one. Oh, good. Okay, because he's talking about his issues. Uh, he's talking. He's giving the backstory to uh, about his brother and their fraternal issues, and he says. If a man finds his wife cheating on him, he's got a legal right to kill her. Damn straight he does. <laughs> here, here. <laughs> I like your opinions and views, and I'd like to subscribe to your newsletter, Mr. Slauson. <laughs> yeah, it's a, real, it's a real simple solution. I'm telling you what, and that's what the world needs. We need simple solutions. <laughs> And final solutions, am I right? Speaking of that, body count. <laughs> the, body, <laughs> the body count for this. I had, what is it? I did, ha- I did hash marks with this. Uh, uh, five. There's five. Okay. Sure. Sure. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well... Is it really clear Slauson gets killed in this? No. I don't think it no. is, is it? No, I don't think so either. She just kind of runs out with the manic. Just, <laughs> she just so happens that she's running out for her life, just having to gather well, up a no, bunch. Well, she, no, th- she kills him with the axe, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's dead. He's dead. No, he's dead. He's dead. Again, they don't, they don't, the franchise money, the franchise bucks, they don't, this is a one-off okay the wiki wormhole this is what's interesting about this and I didn't know this this was a PG rated movie and PG PG rated and they had an opportunity to bump it up with some topless scenes in the watering hole and all the actresses refused they said, nope, never going to get it, never going to get it am I crazy? is there not a tit in this movie? no tits this is like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre of tits. Yes. Like how you think there's so much gore right. in Texas Chainsaw? Implied tits. It's just like I could have sworn I saw a titty. No titties. You get you get an implication, but no clear, no areolas. That this movie comes out today. It's not getting PG. Like just because I mean they are topless. So you don't see. Even if they don't show it, that can't be PG still. Implied nudity? Yeah, it is wild that it got a PG rating. Just because they're they're so... We're saying this and Toy Story are the same ratings? The same rating. <laughs> and the director, David Schmoller or whatever. Schmoller, Schmoller. Yeah, he's a real Schmoller. Schmoller. Uh, he had stated that the fact that it didn't get an R rating probably hurt the movie. And I agree. Who the fuck wants to see a PG rated horror movie? Well, try harder, dickhead. It's your movie. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go, bunghole. Yeah, you're mad that I got a PG rating? Then <laughs> you're the one that directed it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's on film. Demand those actresses show some tits. Harvey Weinstein, he didn't this even... motherfucker. <laughs> this is the one that will get us. This is this is it. This is the one. This is the one, man. 
We're going to get canceled in Uganda because of you. Oh, no. Well, I got to cancel my trips. Speaking of canceling, cancel my flights. They canceled us, and then we canceled our flights. Oh. Womp womp. All right. (laughs) The creepy laughter, which is prominent in the opening sequence, was created for the laughing hyena at the zoo in Lady and the Tramp. And it's also used in Disney's It's a Small World attraction. Damn, the PG uh, ten, uh, tendrils run deep yeah. here. It's basically, this is this is like the, uh, uh, what do they call it? A Wilhelm scream with maniacal laughing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the opening sequence of items flying out of the cabinet was filmed with the cabinet nailed to the ceiling and the crew were on top of the ceiling flinging items straight down. When it is shown in the film, it gives the illusion that the items are flying straight out. That's a that's a very time honored kind of trick illusion that I feel. That's some great ingenuity for a movie like this. Yeah. For you know, I would not expect that out of David Schmoller. Schmoller, Schmoller, Schmoller. <laughs> yeah, I really like that that sequence. That it that is one thing we didn't really talk about more is it does kind of come out of the gate with the with the the death with that yes with the with the the mannequins all chattering and laughing right off the bat freaking out bucket bucket hat man which also you know fuck a guy who wears a bucket hat anyways he fucking deserved to die i really i love wearing a bucket hat in the summertime are you a bucket hat guy I could then I go on vacation. I right. put the bucket hat on. Do you put like everyone's embarrassed? A little bit, a bit, a little bit, a little of, bit of zinc, zinc oxide on my nose. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I could see you wearing a bucket. You know what? I'll give, I'll <laughs> give you the bucket hat. I'll give you the vacation dad. There bucket are hat. so many pictures of me in a lake in an inner tube with a bucket hat and a beer. Yeah. And I'm just lounging. Yeah, that all tracks. Well, just don't go to a roadside attraction with a a tire, my friend. I'll be the first to go. You're gonna get a you're gonna get a lead pipe in your gut, in your back. Zoinkies, everyone! Maybe we should get the fuck out of here. <laughs> no, nah, Mister Slauson's treating us right. We should we should stay. He's a time. He, yeah, he's he's a real kindly old codger. Just a lone, <laughs> just a lonely chap out there. Come on. Uh, though the mass killer was called Davy, the production crew have since dubbed him Plasterface. This is an obvious spoof on Texas Chainsaw Massacre's Leatherface. And it's an obvious, like, when he, yeah, the the Parisian Leatherface look is so, yeah, it's beyond an homage at that point. Right, the curly Julia Child-esque hair, wig. The wig, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. In the... Director commentary in the 20th anniversary edition, director David Schmoller, 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 said Chuck Connors had hoped to use his role to reinvent himself in the 80s as a Boris Karloff style horror film villain, which I don't know how much he succeeded in that, but I will say this. He did succeed sort of with his role in the television series werewolf did you ever watch that have we ever talked about Mm -mm. werewolf werewolf is one of those shows from my childhood that i've been meaning to track down i don't know if it's been re-released in any form but i've been meaning to track it down and watch it again because i have sort of these 
fond but also traumatizing memories of watching it uh, because specifically of the representation of the werewolf man that Chuck Connors plays in the series. Chuck Connors, interesting. Yeah, Chuck Connors played one of the one of the main villains. This guy named Scorzini. He was like a stop. Come on. What? No. <laughs> Scorzini. No, I love that name. It's a great villain name, Scorzini. Because he's <laughs> he's he has his origin in being this old <laughs> Eastern European style OG werewolf. He's so old that and this premise falls apart, but I thought it was cool as a kid. Where he's so old that he can't fully transform back and forth between being a werewolf and human. So he wears basically a man skin suit. Oh. That he pulls off to become a werewolf. You can see all his entire Chuck down there. All his Chuck. So, give it give it give me all your Chuck Connors. Which again it leads to such a, a, a wide host of questions as to how practical the man skin suit could be for repeated usage. And when you're pulling it over the uh, <clears throat> the anatomy of a werewolf. But <laughs> anyways, so Chuck Connors, he kind of did what it says here with that. All right. Slauson's line. Once they move the highway, I'm afraid we lost most of our business. It's lifted, <laughs> directly, is from the, <laughs> it's lifted directly from Psycho. Uh, Norman, oh. Norman Bates says the same thing to Marion. Oh, worried about the Bates Motel. Okay. So, you know how they create profiles of serial killers? Well, they do all these XYZ things. Maybe that should be added to the list is when they start talking Absolutely. about the, the highway getting moved into town. <laughs> then, you know, oh, I'm going to die. This guy's going to kill me. He's going yeah, on about it should infrastructure. Be, uh, 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 there should be a, a little pinprick in the map, like a la, uh, you know, kitty predators. Right. <laughs> Infrastructure debate enthusiasts. <laughs> <laughs> Got to keep an eye on this one. Uh, three years before composing this film, Pino Donaggio composed Carrie. Another 70s horror oh. film about a string of tenetic, telekinetic murders. So Interesting. There, it has that. It has an actual connection to oh, Carrie, weird. not just in theme, but also in uh, production and, and cast and crew. And finally, director David Schmoller, Schmoller, Schmoller initially wanted John Carpenter to direct this film. However, due to issues with financial arrangements and scheduling, J. Larry Carroll decided that Schmoller should direct the film. Now, this is another one of those what-ifs. What if we got a John Carpenter tourist trap? Hot off the heels of Halloween, too. It would have been a... I, I feel, in my heart of hearts, it would have been a real banger. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. That's funny that he was just like, I want John Carpenter. Yeah, no shit you do. <laughs> he had to be a, like a, a a high priority commodity at that point. I mean, yeah. Jesus Christ! Right. That's like if I had a movie and I was like, I I want Spielberg to direct it, ideally, but you know, I don't know. I don't know who will. 
<laughs> I'm going to get... No uh, shit you wanted him to direct it. You wanted Carpenter to direct your horror movie? Of course. Of course you would. I'm going to get... What's... uh? We talked about his films before. I'm drawing the blank on Oh, no. What is it? Zack Snyder? No, not Zack Snyder. Oh, yeah. We can get Zack yeah. Snyder. But that's not the guy I'm thinking of. Uh, fuck. What's his name? Who's the guy who directed Falling Down? Oh, Schumacher. Schumacher. Sorry. That's what I meant. Joel Schumacher. Joel Schumacher. Joel Schumacher is considered one of the worst directors of, of all time. So... I want, I'm going to get my Joel Schumacher. I can't get Spielberg. Give me Schumacher. Give me Schumacher on the phone. That's what he should have said. Which sounds, uh, coincidentally enough, like Schmoller. Schmoller and Schumacher. Schmoller Schumacher. With a name like Schmoller, it has to be good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, buddy, that brings this one to a close. Uh, what do you got for the next movie? Oh, wait, we got to rate it. So, <laughs> our iconography. We're like those teens in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> for our iconography, well, you want to do it out of five bucket-hatted mannequin heads? <laughs> bucket hat mannequins. You want to do it out of that? Sound good? Yeah. I give it a three and a half. Um, yeah, I'm leaning towards three. I'll probably do three and a half as well. See, I don't give everything. No, I'll give it. I'll give it three. I'm going to give it three. Give it three. That's good. See, I don't give everything a five. And I like this movie. Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like these next two are, uh, Similar, yeah. In in that in that regard, oh yeah. Where it's like, yeah, we like these movies, but you know, could have done better. Could have just, uh, you know, little the little nip and tuck here and there. Well, we do have a surprise for the next about the next movie. Oh, fantastic! Well, that being said, sorry, I kind of jumped the gun a little bit there, but do tell us, Pat. What are we going to watch? What are we going to watch next week? We are going to watch not Trick or Treat, not the anthology horror movie not with the R from 2007. With the, not apostrophe R. Yeah, not Trick or Treat yeah. from 2007, uh, but Trick or Treat from 1986. Uh, and the surprise here is that another Midnight Flicks first. I'm picking a movie that I've never seen before. Uh, a movie that I've always wanted to see, just never never saw it. So I decided, let me pick one that I that will force me to watch it. Oh, really? So I'm picking a movie that I've never seen before. Um, but as of this recording, I have seen it uh, <laughs> now, now that I picked it. And so that will be our finale, and that will come out appropriately enough on... Halloween. Yeah, it's Halloween is on a Monday. That's fantastic. That makes me even more excited to talk about this movie. The fact that you were, you got your cherry pops with this one. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it was about as thrilling as that made it sound. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so coming up next time. Thanks a lot. 
This has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for our intro music. Our outro music today is by the band Death. And if you have any questions or concerns or comments that you would like to send our way, please send them to midnightflixpod at gmail.com. That's F-L-I-X. Also, we have an Instagram at midnightflixpod and a TikTok. Lordy, lordy. We, uh, we, like, we like all the social medias. No, not really. Anyways, so go ahead. Hit us up. We actually... Uh, we finally got an email. I don't know if you saw it, Pat. But I it, did. It, it was like written like the Zodiac Killer, but well, uh, nonetheless, appreciated. That makes sense. It was my friend uh, that sent sent it. My friend Justin. So it he has Zodiac Killer vibes, but totally Great. totally makes sense. I hope the next one is in the mail using newspaper clippings. <laughs> I'll let him know. He would do that. Uh, <laughs> I got a great story about we him. Have, we'd have to get a P.O. box. That'd be annoying. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm going to tell you a story about him on the mic here when we uh, finish it. But anyway, for uh, Adam Walker and Pat Mitchell, this is Adam Walker uh, as Slauson, and we'll see you next time. Bye.